0: All right, beloveds, we'll return to our series on the attributes of God this morning. Uh, last time we talked about the holiness of God, and I, after I had preached that, I, I was wondering, how am I ever going to exceed that? How, how can we continue from, from that, looking at the holiness of God, the, the attribute that, that seems to shine the most of, of all the attributes, but... Then I, then I looked at my list and what I had planned and I saw that the next attribute was the sovereignty of God. And ooh, is that an attribute we love here in this church and among all Calvinists for that matter. The, the sovereignty of God, that God is king, that God rules, that God is solely alone on the throne. There is no other power or king or ruler or anything who can challenge him. He is sovereign. So, for this morning, we'll look at the sovereignty of God. This is, I said that we, we as Calvinists like this attribute very much, but not just because it, it, it's, it fits well with, with Calvinistic theology, but because it is an attribute which fills me at least with joy, thinking about it, hope, knowing that God is in control. Seeing how much afflictions, how much trial, how much sin there is in this life. And still knowing that God is in control. He is sovereign. He is ruling. It gives me comfort. It gives me hope and joy to continue. Live every day. Now, I can't say I've ever heard this one attribute being taught or preached outside a biblical church. And in this country, not outside this church. But let's not... Be, be a, let's not use that as an excuse not to study this one attribute, to think that this is somehow obscure and we don't need to put a lot of energy or, or thought into it. Let's, let's even more study it. Let's, let's do even more to know how God is truly sovereign. Because it is something I believe that this nation greatly lacks, a biblical understanding of God. And especially in this regard, a biblical understanding of God's sovereignty. Because it is the godness of God, if you can call it that. This is what makes him truly God above everything else. That he is sovereign over everything and everyone. So, what, what do I mean? Let's, let's start with the basics. What do I mean when I say sovereign, sovereignty? What is, what is the definition of that? It is, According to, uh, to the dictionary, it, it is... Having the highest power or being completely independent. Having the highest power or being completely independent. It is used of a, of a king or a queen or a, a person having the power to govern. That person is a sovereign. The, the queen in England, or she died just recently. So the king in England, or UK actually, is called the sovereign. He's a sovereign sovereign. And synonyms of the word sovereign include absolute, unlimited, ruling, supreme. But we hear from these words alone that this is a, this is a word not used on many, many persons. There's, there's very few who can truly call themselves sovereign or entities who can call themselves sovereign. And we, of course, know that there is only one who is truly sovereign, who is above everything else, supreme, unlimited, ruling, only one sovereign in the universe, and that is God. Let me tell you that man's will is not sovereign. Man's will is under God. That is something that shocks many people. Unfortunately, they believe that God cannot trump their free will my free will will never be subject to anything. But God is, in fact, sovereign, even over your free will. And, uh, well, let's, let's have a quick look at what the Scripture says. Just a quick definition. In Psalm 103, let's go there for a, one verse, just Psalm 103, verse 19. We'll, we'll look at a, a three Psalms here, just... Just quickly, not not going to give an exposition on them. But just to see what the Bible says about sovereignty. Sovereignty. Psalm 103 verse 19 says this. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. And his sovereignty rules over all. His sovereignty rules over all. This is the Bible very clearly just stating a fact as if. Stating that 2 plus 2 is 4. God is sovereign. His sovereignty rules over all. There is nothing above it. He rules. Period. End of discussion. If, if, if you need a verse to, to uh, prove that God is sovereign, this is the one verse. It's 103 verse 19. But it's not the only verse. We can go to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Let's read. We can read a few verses here from verse one down to verse three. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory because of your loving loving kindness, because of your truth. Why should the nation say, where now is their God? But our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. This is a definition of being sovereign. Doing whatever you please. Nothing and no one can say stop or hinder you or object to you. God does whatever he pleases. The nations will mock our God. The unbelievers will say, where is your God? We know he is in heaven. We know he rules from heaven. He's above everything. He does whatever he pleases. And a similar psalm, 135. Let's turn there quickly. 135, verse 6. Just this one verse says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and in earth and in the seas and in all deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases. Whatever means, whatever. It means everything. If He pleases to do something, He does it. He's not stopped by my unbelief or your uh, rebellion, he does whatever he pleases. Sin will not come in his way. Sin is actually something that is in uh, what do you call it? Subjection to God. He uses all the means, all the evil, all the good in this world to accomplish his plans, his will. This is the sovereignty of God. This is what it, how it's defined. How we see it in the Bible. What the Bible says about God being sovereign. That he can do whatever he please. And he does whatever he please. It's not just an ability. It is something that he is actually doing. An actuality. This is what God is doing. Now I know there are many objections to the sovereignty of God. And especially from people who, who love the concept of Free will, a man's will, is free to choose God and free to um, reject Him. Free to reject Him. This is, I would say, actually the the majority position of Christians today, the people who hold the name Christian, they say that we are free to choose God. God respects our choice. He is not forcing Himself on on us. He's giving us the choice The option to choose him or not to choose him. But uh, again, as, as we know and Athanasius before us knew, the majority is not what decides what the truth is. God and his word decides what the truth is. One man with God is in the majority and there are there are other categories we could consider of god's sovereignty that is just one god is sovereign in salvation another one is is that god is is sovereign in operation that uh, god can god actually governs nations peoples kings rulers all the time we see godless rulers everywhere you don't have to to go look for it. You don't have to be a history nerd or whatever to find godless kings and godless rulers. You can see them today in in our nations, in all around the world. There are actually a very few people who are not godless who are in ruling positions. But still, in all this godlessness, in all this sin, God is ruling. He's ruling. He's sovereign in operation, in administration, in governance man is often often have the desire to be seen as the savior of the world we want to be the ones who save everything save the planet from climate change save uh, the planet from uh, ozone holes or or nuclear war or overpopulation or underpopulation or whatever you have we always want to be the ones who save the world We want to be the one who are in control, in operation, in administration. But there is only one who is truly in control of all these things. And it is God. And this is another category we consider today. And we will actually start there in our little Bible study. And we'll see God's sovereignty in operation. This can be boiled down to one question, really. Has God foreordained everything that comes to pass? It's a yes or no question. Has God foreordained everything that comes to pass? Or are there elements that God has not foreordained? Is God truly sovereign in everything that happens? In every disaster? In every evil? In every sin? In every good thing? Every life being born, every life being saved. Is God sovereign? Is He ruling in all these aspects of life? Well, we have plenty of examples. I'll, I'll not go through them. But we have plenty of examples from the Bible of God working in all things. We have non living matter, as, as uh, fire and, and earth and, and water and, and air. All these things are non-living. They don't have life in themselves. They don't have a bio- biological life. You can't take a, a piece of, of a fire and study it and see here, are, here is biological life. It's, it's inanimate. inanimate in, in, what's the word? Inanimate. Inanimate life. That's the word. Right. Thank you. Thank you, Kyle, for sending me that through mm. telepathic ability. Inanimate life is god sovereign in inanimate life non-living matter surely he is god or the bible says that in when in the book of daniel when the friends of daniel uh, opposed the king king nebuchadnezzar when he had made a statue and everybody was to worship that statue and they they refused they did not want to worship they could only worship the one true god and the king was angry He he threw them into the fire. It was it was a very, very hot fire, a very hot furnace. It says in the book of Daniel that those people who, who led the the friends of Daniel to the furnace, they were killed by the fire because it was so intense, so hot. Yet these men, these three men who was thrown into the fire, they were not touched in a single atom. Not, that, not even their hair or their clothes. Nothing was touched on them. They were inside the fire, and they were completely healthy. God has control, to, or has the sovereignty to control fire, to control lifeless elements. And we see from the uh, the life of Jesus how he could control the air, the storms. He, could, he was asleep in the boat. His disciple was, was taking the boat out on the Sea of Galilee. There came a violent storm, as it often does, on the Sea of Galilee. If you have ever been there, I haven't. I wish to go there someday. They can very quickly gather up a, a great storm. And, and if you're out on the sea, you, you, you better quickly get back to the shore because they get very, very violent. And that, that happened to Jesus and his disciples. And Jesus was asleep in the boat. I don't know about you, but if there is a violent sea and you're in a boat, I do not sleep. I get very seasick, as my wife can testify. But Jesus, being God, he was asleep. He could sleep through the storm. And when the disciples woke him up and said to him, Lord, do you not care? we're, We're perishing. He spoke. And the sea and the air and the storm obeyed. Because that is what a sovereign God can do. He controls the air, he controls the sea as if it was a person, as if it was something that had life and can can listen to uh, commands. And we we know from the great story of the Exodus how uh, the people of, of, of Israel. Children of Israel came to the Red Sea. They were pursued by the Egyptian army. They had them behind, behind them and the sea in front of them. They were trapped. Now what happened? Moses turned to God. He knew that God could do anything. He knew that God had control over the sea and over the earth and everything. And he commanded that the sea be, be parted. And it was God told the sea to depart, to split to make a way for the children of Israel to walk over. And a, a sea seabed is normally not a dry place. If you have ever been to a, a where there is, is great high tide and low tide, you can you you can see that the seabed is very, very muddy, very wet when the sea goes away. And we could we could think that in this case it would have been very wet as well. The sea had miraculously departed by the command of God. But still the, the people of Israel could, could go over. They could cross through this sea. No problem. They did not get stuck in the mud. They could part or they could go through the sea. However, when the Egyptians came... All of a sudden there was mud there, their their wheels got stuck, They, they, they realized that God is working against us, flee while you can. But they could not flee, for God sent the sea back by a word of his command and drowned the whole army. Now this is God working in lifeless matter, in matter that we cannot control by saying, do this or do that. We can in some, some way control animals. We can in some way control our children. We can in some way tell people commands. But water, fire, earth, lifeless objects, we cannot command. We do not have such power or such sovereignty. Only God has this sovereignty. And God works In such things as lifeless objects, but also in living things, in in animals and in persons, in kings and rulers. The Bible says that the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of God. He turns it wherever he wishes. The kings, the rulers... The ones who we see as the ones who have real power, the presidents who are elected to their high, uh, high position, they have the real power. They can make decisions that affect all of us, but still they are not sovereign. The Bible again says that their, their heart is like channels of water. It is like a a stream flowing down, and the stream can't can't really choose which way it's going. It's always going towards the sea. It's always following the path of least resistance, trying to get back to the sea. And so it is with the heart of the kings and rulers, of those in power. They have to follow the path that God sets before them. He is the one who turns them. Now let's, let's, let's look at the, a few examples from the Bible. Let's not just listen to me, but see what the Bible has to, says, has to say. Let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 50, and we'll see how God works in, in the evil of men. Chapter 50, last chapter of the book of Genesis. And we'll, we'll read from verse 15. Verse 15. Chapter 50, verse 15. This is what it says. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us and pays us back in full for all the wrong which we did to him? So they sent a message to Joseph saying, Your father charged before He died saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, please forgive. I beg you the transgression of your brothers and their sin, for they did you wrong. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph, Joseph wept when he spoke to him, when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about the present result, to preserve many people alive. So therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now this is... The, The story of Joseph and his brothers. We know who Joseph was. The son of Jacob who was uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. His brothers got jealous. He had dreams and visions of him being the supreme among his brothers. Being the highest one, the loftiest one, the one that God had chosen. And they got jealous. So what did they do? They attacked him. They threw him into a pit and then they sold him into slavery, into Egypt. Now, all this is, of course, a, a great evil, a great sin. You are not allowed, even if you hate your brother that much, to sell him into slavery. I have three brothers. I do not wish to sell any one of those into slavery. They might want to sell me into slavery for all the stupid things I did when I was little, but you are not allowed to do so. It is a sin. It is a great evil. Yet had not Joseph been sold into slavery, had not the brothers committed this heinous crime towards their brother, this would not have happened, that God would have used Joseph, that God would have used the circumstance, the the situation to save many people. As it says in verse 20 to preserve many people alive because there was a famine coming over the whole earth or the the, the the knowable earth at that time the knowable world where people lived a great famine that caused all the nations to lack food for people to start dying and God sent a, a dream to Pharaoh the ruler in Egypt About this coming famine. He could not understand it. But Joseph, who was in prison then, unlawfully so, by the way, unjustly so, could interpret the dream. He could tell Pharaoh, this is what it means. There will be seven good years. Seven. Seven good years. And then there will be seven bad years. Seven years where there will be no food. Prepare. Stock up. And Joseph, Joseph was given the position of a prime minister, we could call it, in Egypt. He could gather in all the food, store it in, 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 uh, in great stock, prepare themselves for the coming bad years. All this happened because Joseph was sold into slavery. And as he says there in verse 20, you meant evil against me. And it truly was evil. Yet, God meant it for good. Here we see God being sovereign, even in the evil of man. Even in sin being committed. God overrules. God ordains. God puts everything in order to save the many. To preserve many people alive. God meant it for good. We, sinful people, do many evil things all the time. Yet, in all this evil, in all these things that happen, God has a plan. God is sovereign and ruling and ordaining things for good. For good. It's an astonishing display of God's sovereignty, even in evil. Even in sin, not even the enemies of God can work against him. When they think they're working against him, they're actually doing his plan. They think that, ha ha, we have them now. We will jail the Christians. We will kill the Christians. We'll burn down their churches. And even in this, God's plan is being fulfilled. During the first few centuries of the church, the church was heavily persecuted by the the Roman authorities. They imprisoned Christians. They killed Christians, threw them in the arena to be eaten by wild animals. But during this time, the church prospered. It grew and grew until it could not be stopped. In evil, God rules. He ordains all things. And what other evil can we think of that is even greater than this than we read here in Genesis 50? The greatest evil ever committed. The crucifixion of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ. We know that it was an evil plan to kill Jesus, the only innocent man, the only righteous man to ever live and walk on this earth. Yet, There was the ruler of the Jews, there was Judas, there was Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Roman soldiers. They all uh, conspired together to have Jesus imprisoned and executed. To make him a criminal. But you know who else was in this plan? God. God was working in this plan. Actually, the Bible says that in all this, it pleased the Lord to crush him. Let's turn there. You know the place. Isaiah 53. Isaiah chapter 53. The greatest chapter in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. Now we see God's plan being Fulfilled, Or this is the prophecy of God's plan, which was fulfilled in the crucifixion of Christ. Let's read from verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through, through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. The Lord has caused it. Not evil man has caused it. Not our sins has caused it. The Lord has caused it. The Lord is working. It is the the Lord's plan to do all this, to make him one pierced through our through for our transgressions, to crush, be crushed for our iniquities. The Lord caused this. It is the will of God to let evil men walk away from their just punishment. And for Christ. Who was just, righteous, to be smitten, afflicted, crushed. Let's see in verse 10 as well. Here it says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a great portion with the great. And he will divide the booty and the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. The Lord was pleased to crush him. Evil men put Christ to death, but they did so because it was the will of God. It was God's pleasure to crush his own son, to kill him. To slay him. Why? As a result of the anguish of his soul. He will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge the righteous one. My servant will justify the many. As he will be, bear their iniquities. He was to fulfill God's purpose. To justify those. Who were unjust. Who were sinners. Who were the ones. deserve the penalty of death and not just the penalty of death of eternal death total separation from God as a result of the anguish of his soul he will see it and be satisfied God was satisfied justice was done this is the great work of Christ he Appease the wrath of God. He took that penalty, which was ours, which was all the people of God's to have, and put it on Christ. That was the will of God. This is the sovereignty of God in overruling all evil, all sin, so much so to put his own son to death. This is to fulfill God's perfect the purpose. To make a people righteous, to justify the unjust, to be satisfied. So God causes evil men, evil people, evil works for good. The death of our Lord was an evil work, but it caused an even greater good. The salvation of of his people. This is God's sovereignty in operation. And God steers all the time. This is not just something happening every now and then at events when God delights to display his glory. This happens all the time. God is sovereign all the time, he's ruling all the time. The book of Ephesians, turn there if you like, chapter 1 says this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1. See if I can find it in my Bible. Chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. Mm. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter now. That's chapter 2. Chapter 1 says this. That was a good verse, by the way, but it's not the verse I was meant to read. Uh, chapter 10, we could read from verse 9. Chapter 10. Chapter 1, we could read from, read from verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. He works not some things and most things, but all things after the counsel of his will. This is what determines everything. God's will, God's good will, as it said in in um, verse five, the kind intentions of His will. It might be horrifying for a, a person, a proud person, thinks he is controlling of his life, to realize that this is not so. God is in control of your life. It, it is in accordance with His will but it is in accordance with the kind intention of his will. God is a good God, a kind God, a saving God, a God who would even kill his own son, who would use evil to do good. God rules all the time in everything according to his purpose. God is sovereign in operation for his glory. This is his purpose, to glorify himself through the salvation of his elect and through the damnation of those that reject him. This glorifies God. This is his ultimate plan, that all peoples and everything created will see his glory. Glory in salvation and glory in justice. He is the ruling authority in all these things. And it, I'm not just telling you, trying to make you Calvinist or trying to make you people that believe that God is always sovereign. Of course, I want you to be that as well, but I want you to realize what kind of implications these have. if we, If we don't have a sovereign god if god is not ruling all the time if, if there are other authorities as high as god and and uh, powers that could challenge god then what does that make god an impotent god a god who's not always ruling a god whose intentions are not always being fulfilled and if god's intention is to save you And it might not be fulfilled. Then God is not honoring his promise. Then God's word cannot be trusted. We have the word of God preserved for us to this day. Through thousands of years. Countless of generations. God has kept it. And he has kept every single one of his promises. If God is not sovereign, he could not keep all of his promises and that would include the promise to save all those who believe in him how could he make such a promise if he is not sovereign if he cannot overrule if he is not sovereign over all creation and all powers and all of human combined will how could he be faithful to his promises How could we trust His Word if He was not sovereign in everything? Don't tempt God in this way to deny His authority, to deny His truthfulness, His promises. Make the Word of God the true and highest authority in life and practice believe that God is sovereign to keep all his promises to us because if you don't you have made yourself an idol something else has come and taken the place or the position the throne that is only God's something else has reached up and taken his place and made itself an idol a god a false god Challenging the true and only God. You have violated the first and second commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven or in earth or under the earth. You shall worship only Yahweh. Make God your true sovereign. Because God is a jealous God. He will not allow anyone else to take his place, to be a God, to rule where he is ruling. Now, quickly, also the second category that I mentioned, God's sovereignty in salvation. This is perhaps even more controversial than the, than the first one, God's sovereignty in operation. Because, again, as I mentioned, free will is so Prominent today in the Christian church. Many people who, who hold the name of Christian claim that it was because of their free will to choose God that they are Christians today, that they could come to Christ, that they could choose him, and that God reacted and saved them as a result of them choosing him. And I believe this is because in every human being, In every sinful man, there's a deep-rooted desire to be in control of your own life. As I already talked about, a man wants to be seen as the savior of the world, saving the world from whatever disaster. There are many movies made around superheroes who come and save the world from this or save the world from that. Marvel Studios is one of those who make those movies. DC or whatever it's called, the other one, I don't remember so many movies are made uh, around this one theme we need superheroes we need men who can save us Batman spider-man Superman always something man or Wonder Woman I believe there's one such superhero as well but always there it is a man a a human being all these movies all these uh, fiction but the Bible is not clear, is, sorry, is clear when it comes to God's sovereignty in salvation. Let's, let's turn to one last book, the book of Romans. The book of Romans, chapter 9. We'll end with a look at the book of Romans. This, this chapter, chapter 9, is. If you have read it, and I hope you have, showing God's supreme authority in choosing whomever he wants. It says in, in, in says verse, from verse 14 and, and forward that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it depends not on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. It is God who elects whom he shows mercy to. It is God who elects whom he hardens. He hardened the heart of Pharaoh. And he softens the hearts of all those who trust him. Now, and from verse 20, from verse 19, we see this. The, Paul, the apostle Paul is, is anticipating a, a reply from the reader uh, an objection. Why, why is, how can we, how can we be uh, responsible before this God? Let's read from verse 19. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? Now, this is true. This is true. Who can resist God's will? Indeed, this, the, the, the imaginary objector here is, is right. No one can resist God's will. God is truly sovereign in everything, in in election, in salvation. So who can resist his will? But that is not the right response to this truth, to this doctrine, that God is sovereign in in, in salvation. For Paul continues in verse 20, On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers, answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, Why did you make me like this? Will it? Or does the potter have the right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches. Sorry, I lost the. The riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he also called, not, um, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. This is God, or actually, yes, yes, God, the Holy Spirit answering back to man through the Apostle Paul, who are you? Who are you to come back to me, to answer back to me? I am the true sovereign. I do as I please. If you were in front of the man with the greatest power in the world today, and he commanded you to do something, and then you objected, even though he had all his guards and all his, his uh, secret service with him, enforcing his commands and then you said no i will not i will object to you he would laugh or she could be a she but the person would laugh at you huh, who are you to answer back to me who are you who do you think you are i am the greatest person in the world i have the most power no one can stop me who are you to answer back and he might do so out of the, the evil of his heart, but God can do so because he is truly sovereign. Who are you, O man? And then the Apostle Paul uses an illustration here. For He, he, he um, speaks of the potter working with a piece of clay and a molder, molding something. And he uses an, uh, an illustration of something Who is lifeless answering back to to the maker. The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? This is ridiculous. We don't form a a pot of clay and then the, the pot will start speaking with us. Why did you make me like this? Why were your hands so shaky when you made me? No, the pot does not answer back to the potter. Because the potter has the right over the clay to make the same lump, uh, from the same lump, one vessel for honorable use and one for common use. God has the right, and God exercises the right to make people for glory, for salvation, or for damnation, to display his justice on. This is his power. This is his sovereignty. This crushes human pride. I know this text is hard. It's been hard for me. I was not always a Calvinist or a person who believed and understood the sovereignty of God. And this was a hard text for me as well because it crushed my pride. I cannot do what I need to do to come to God. I cannot save myself. I cannot make myself an honorable vessel. Only God has that power. Only God is so sovereign that he can prepare me for glory or for destruction. And this is, of course, the the hammer coming down on human pride. Crushing it. Destroying it. Showing that God is the only sovereign in salvation. God elects whom he saves and whom he hardens. Who are you to answer back? We cannot answer back to God. We cannot answer back to his sovereignty. But we can answer with joy. We can answer and realize that God, who has given us faith, all of us who believe, we can realize that he did so, not because there was good in us, because he had a reason to do so, because he could see us and elect us, Because of something good in us, but because of his kind intentions. Kind intentions of his will. Because again, God is a good God. God is a saving God. God has not created us merely to be puppets in his hand to display his power. But to save us. To be a saving God a kind Father. God could just send us all to hell and it would be justice. It would be right. No one could complain. Justice would be done. But God has not sent every single one of us to hell. God actually saves. God has a purpose and that is to glorify Himself in showing grace. In showing grace. I don't want you to feel crushed and humiliated and without options. There is an option. There is a Savior. There is Christ. He who could appease the wrath of God. He who could do that which the law demanded. He did that he accomplished that and it is it is secure god will save all those that christ died for there's not a single one a single person a single soul that christ died for that will end up in hell not one let's just go back one chapter this is the last text chapter 8 and, and see in verse 28 what the apostle writes. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. There's so much to unpack here. We could, we could just preach a whole sermon on this one verse. Let's, let's just quickly see what it says. God causes. God is in control. God is sovereign. He, he rules. He Steers all things God causes not man not fate not coincidence God causes and what does he cause all things not some things not most things but all things everything that takes place all things God steers them God directs them they are like streams of water that he controls to work together not against each other But together, to come together in perfect harmony. There's not chaos in God's world. There is cosmos. There is order. There is harmony in what God does. Everything works together. We remember the brothers of Joseph, how they conspired against Joseph. But all these things work together to save people for good. This is wonderful. Just these two words. For good. God makes things for good. You know what else is is good? Where's the first reference to God doing something good? Book of Genesis. God created light and it was good. As we read in the psalm today. It is good. Everything that God does is good. He works everything for good and lastly for those who love god it's not for those who deserve it none of us deserve it it's not for those who are perfectly righteous pious it is for those who love god who have understood who god is who have come before the cross of christ Rejecting all that they can do, put down their pride, put down their works, and only cling to the Christ who can save them. For those, God works all things perfectly together for good. For all those who love God, they are pardoned, they are declared righteous, they are glorified. This is overflowing comfort for all of us who believe that God continues to work all things perfectly together for good for all of us who love God. This is a promise for us, a promise, something that God has declared and will come to pass. This gives us comfort. And it gave the apostle comfort. He ends the chapter with, a, with a, one of the greatest songs to God's power and glory. From verse 31 he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? We who did not spare, sorry, he who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. Who also intercedes for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God will save you perfectly through the end. Nothing can stop that. No powers, no principalities, no height, no depth, nor anything, nothing created can separate you from God's love. You will be saved, you little flock, you weak and weary flock of God. You will be saved. God has given you His word. He has sent His Son to die for your sake. He will save you. And that promise and that Word I give to you who do not believe as well that you could turn from your sin and turn to Christ, the one who can save you. The one who is powerful, sovereign to keep his promises and save you from your just penalty, from God's wrath. Oh, please turn to him. Fall down before him. Confess your sins. Repent of them. Turn to him who is the Savior of all those who believe, of all those who love God. Turn to him this morning, and you will be saved. Amen. Let's end there. Our Lord and our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word, for your comforting words, that we know that you are sovereign. You are truly ruling All the time and in all things. Nothing that we can do will change or stop that. You will save all those who you have elected. Oh God, you are a good God, a saving God, a gracious God. Oh God, please save them that do not understand this. That have not bowed their knee before you. Save them, Lord. Save them as you saved us. Take them away from the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light that they might see, that they might live for your glory. Oh, Lord, we live for Christ and his glory today. Let us do so realizing that you are sovereign in everything that happens because you work together. You cause all things to work together perfectly in harmony for us. Who love you. We thank you, Lord, for your word, for your promise. In Jesus' name. Amen.